0: Hi, I'm here today at the Irish Jesuit Archives and I'm talking to Vera Moynes about her work in the Calendar of Irish Jesuit Documents.
1: Thank you very much, Damien. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, Firstly, Vera, um, can you give us some background to, I suppose, the start of your work with the Jesuits and how it was actually formulated that you'd work with the Jesuits a number of years ago?
1: Yeah, this was back in June 2014 um, no sorry it was 2013 in fact it, it receded far into the distant past now at this stage when um, when preparations were underway to celebrate the bicentenary of the Jesuits coming back to Ireland as it were in 1814 so um, the project that I was put upon um, uh, was one of many projects um, that was um, under the auspices of the 1814 committee um, so my, my project grew out of an idea that um, Brian McCorta, who's now the, the archivist at the Archivum Romanum Societatis Jesu in Rome, um, uh, came out of his thoughts that um, there are so many documents of Irish concern in the Irish Roman archive, sorry, in the Roman Jesuit archives, that haven't really seen the light of day, um, whether by dint of scholars, you know, researching them, or indeed by dint of being being published. Very few of them had been published in full text. So the idea was to create a calendar of documents and also to publish some of them in full text.
0: And when we're talking about a calendar of documents, what dates are we talking about and where are we talking about?
1: Yeah, now, um, the decision was made that we couldn't possibly, you know, calendar or or catalogue everything that's to do with with Irish Jesuits um, because that would be far too much. So, firstly, the span of years is 1566 to um, 1752. That's just the way um, documents have survived. And the decision was made just to just in inverted commas to calendar, this two thousand six hundred documents or so um, that went directly between the Jesuit Curia in Rome and um, and the various um, Je- Jesuit Irish stations, say or residences here in, in Ireland, so between Dublin, Galway, Limerick, Cork. Clon Mel Waterford you name them there would have been superiors writing directly to Rome and then the superior the superior general in Rome or his secretaries writing back directly to them so just to stick to the core our correspondence was the idea
0: and when you talk about a calendar is this just a list of dates and from who to whom and a brief kind of pre or is it in a chronology or is it something that would give uh, Information for historians or genealogists, and what actually does it entail?
1: Yeah, that's that's a a very good and long question. Um, a calendar of documents is a really old-fashioned kind of a concept that goes back to the nineteenth century and the antiquarians. So, um, a calendar of documents—it's it's really like a, a catalogue or finding aid, as we know it in, in archival speak—of um, of documents that are summarised, just like what you say. There'll be the date, the writer um the recipient if it's a letter, if not it's just a report or something like that. So just the writer, the type of document that it is, um the length of it, how many pages of folia and um what language it's in, and then of course a pre C um, as you say, roughly summarising what what the the letter or the report is about and what kind of points it covers.
0: So your job on the first day was to come into the archives, and you're presented with, let's say, eight nine boxes of already pristine documents, and all you had to do was sit down and calendar them from day. It seems like an easy job. Tell me why it wasn't.
1: Oh, it was terribly easy. Um, Absolutely fueled by coffee. Uh, That's all it needed, Um, and it was done in a jiffy. No, um, the um, okay, where to start. where I began, where I began actually was not with the doc- documents themselves, because I knew that there was a brilliant um you could say finding aid and body of text that is transcripts already in existence that would help me an awful lot with these documents um okay the documents themselves were in rome most of them 200 plus were here in dublin but the rest of those 2000 maybe 200 were in rome and i had access to them by means of um, digital photographs so that's that's one thing but in order not to plunge into the deep end and look at the documents themselves, whether on screen or here, here in Dublin, in the flesh, um, um, I knew that there were these 13 boxes of transcripts made by a wonderful man called um, uh, Father John McEarline. SJ, um, a Jesuit historian and uh, the Jesuit archivist, a Jesuit, Jesuit historian, I think, of the Irish province was his title, uh, from 1917 uh, onwards. He was born in 1870. So he left these 13 boxes of pristinely written um, copper plate transcripts of the documents that I would have to, to catalogue. Most of them anyway were covered by, I'm saying, maybe 92 or 93%. I'm not exactly sure. So I thought I'd start with them and, and make a survey of what what they are, how many are there and how much help would that give me with my work.
0: And tell me, um, going back to the background of John McAleen, why did he actually get 13 boxes of material? What was his... A motivation to sit down and transcribe the original documents in the flesh.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not so sure about the chronology. I know that he started out um, as a Gaelic scholar um, uh, Magdalene started out as the editor of Dalvi O'Broder's poetry um, but then I, I think chronologically speaking then he was um, appointed province historian um, for the Jesuits so then he made it his, his big job to seek out documents out there in the world that were either written in Ireland or written about Ireland um, so he went to great lengths um, travelling Europe we can say um, but also gathering information information from Jesuits in Mexico and in other places um, that might shed light on Irish Jesuits, wherever they were. So he went, for instance, um, he spent a long time I, I could say months at a time in this small little place in in um, in Holland called Exeten, not sure how you pronounce it where the Jesuit the core jesuit archives that are now again in Rome were um, exiled if you want while, while the the Italian uh, government was was being very secular about things and there was always a fear that that um, religious goods including archives might be confiscated so they were in Exeten, a lovely place with a beautiful castle at the time so he he stationed himself there and with the help help of other um, like-minded well historian uh, Jesuits he um, he deciphered a lot of uh, documents that we have now in those 13 boxes and and transcribed them in his lovely hand
0: So if I get at the image in my head you have um, a range of documents you have John McAleen and then you've got yourself in the mix and I was wondering can you just give a brief description of why you were employed, what was your skill set that the Jesuits said, listen, VIRR skill is the person to do this job. And describe some of the backgrounds as the skill set that you have as an archivist that would complement the work that you were doing here.
1: Yeah, um, I'm still wondering, why why me? Um, But um, I I suppose I had done... Sort of similar work before in Rome at the Pontifical Irish College, to give it its its proper name, um, in Rome, where um, which still functions as seminary and a, and a college, a house a house of residence for Irish uh, seminarians who study in Rome at Roman universities. Um, so I was archivist there, and I had calendar documents. Um, that were um, to the most part in Italian and to some smaller part in Latin, some of them in English. Um, so that maybe marked me out to people who, you know, the Irish grapevine is small in archival terms, that marked me out um, to um, to the Irish Jesuit archivist and other people. Um, and they approached me and asked me. So it did help me uh, on the one hand. Um, I can say it, it helped me linguistically speaking with the job even though my Latin greatly improved during this project it wasn't half as good as it should have been Um, but on the other hand it also set me up for a bad mistake because I had um, I blithely went back to that time in Rome and I cataloged these documents spanning the 16th to the 18th centuries and I did a rule of thumb and I said so and so many folia I cataloged in that time and I spent four months on it so um, I had a only a rough idea really of how many how many uh, folia we might have here so that was my big mistake i said okay if there's so many letters in there then i might spend just nine months and that was totally wrong um what did i spend
0: so so how long did you spend on the project
1: um i think i was on it for um it was something like 15 16 months um let me see it was june 2013 to um with a break of two months um So let's say till um, till the end of December 2015. Yeah, so a year and a half,
0: a year and a half. Um, And you mentioned the volume of documents at the start. Um, So you're using your skills as an archivist, your um, attention to detail, your linguistic skills, your cataloging skills. Why was there such a volume of documents and how did they survive?
1: Yeah, um, indeed. How did they survive and how did they survive where they survive? Um, Now, for for the most part, these documents, and I can't really put a figure on it, but roughly speaking, maybe um, 70 percent of them are copy letters. So thankfully, in Rome, they had plenty of secretaries. So every letter that went out from the Curia and was sent anywhere to Laos, to Mexico, to Japan, um, a copy was kept in a big ledger. And these are very hard to read, so I was very grateful for Macalene's work. Um, so they survive in Rome. Um, and then there were so many letters written in Ireland and sent to Rome. And they originally also survived in Rome, only that they made their way back here to Dublin, where we are at the moment here in Decent Street. We don't quite know exactly how that happened. So they survived by dint of great luck, because um, I was saying there about 2,600, but um, so many of them must have, so many others that were written uh, directly between Rome and Ireland and then other ones um, did not survive for the vagaries of travel. And, you know, you name it really, interception by inimical English powers and all that kind of thing so we're very lucky to have those and in particular that they were so meticulous in Rome uh, about keeping their copies
0: So what is the background regarding the Society of Jesus our Jesuits system of communication why are they writing so much and why are they keeping their letters so why are they self-confessed lovers of archives
1: Yeah indeed um, well this goes back to Ignatius himself and where, where he had his great um, his great I don't know his strictures from, I'm not sure, um, but he must have just conceived that it was very important to have documents at all times to prove how th- certain things stood. So he imposed on fellow Jesuits a system of writing so and so many letters. So every. Um, every superior of a house, and then um, every um, every one of his assistants, um, according to grade, they had a particular amount of letters they had to write in a year, um, and then, as a whole, as a mission because the Irish um, the Irish Jesuits uh, based here from, um, well, from 1598 onwards, that was the third Irish mission, they um, they had to write a annual letter as well back to Rome to kind of summarize what happened in the last year. So there were lots of um, different types of letters, and then also lists of Jesuit that, Jesuits that needed to be compiled every year. So listing every Jesuit in every one of the residences, say in Waterford, there's six Jesuits, and their names are these, and they're so and so many years old, and they were in, in the Society of Jesus for so and so long, and then they did li- the, these um, so-called catalogues. Um, um, they they they'd also list people's merits and demerits, so whether somebody was, you know, of bad health, whether somebody was good at studying theology, whether somebody was good at preaching or not, um, you know. Those kinds of things. So there, there were many different classes of documents that the um, formula scribendi, something that came out or um, well, was finalised only after Ignatius of Loyola died, um, um, imposed on everybody to write. Um, so, so yeah. But I know I'm not sure where Ignatius himself got this 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 feeling for for documents from.
0: Yes, it is some some sort of um, inherent to Jesuit constitutions where. Um, he made it quite clear that letters and documents would help unite its members among themselves and with their own head and so precise, precise instructions were given to all when uh, on mission to, to write and part. Um part. So you mentioned the system of communication and you mentioned sometimes there was intercepted or delays or loss and even sometimes they were coded.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I can't remember exact instances of not that now but um maybe but there were no instances if i remember right but there were sometimes um, um there were um there were admonitions from the superior general in rome in one particular case case um the superior general's name was Claudio Acquaviva and he wrote back to i think it was the the um superior Christopher Hollywood um, here in Dublin at the time, or in one of the many um, hiding houses in Ireland, he wrote back to say um, not to use cipher as much. Um, so cipher might just mean that certain names were obfuscated, or that you know that people were given different names, or that um, places were were given you know, with, I don't know, X, Y, Z, maybe letters. So I don't think we we have actual code surviving, but we have a reference to such codes. And at times maybe um, Jesuits here being so wary of things being intercepted or indeed they're giving very important information away about their own men or about their benefactors that they um, they maybe went to too high a degree of, you know, of... um, obfuscating what they were trying to say so that when when the letter arrived in Rome it was more or less like Chinese whispers and um, things couldn't be quite so so well understood anymore
0: um, Can you reiterate to me the, the dates uh, that you said the calendar come out and I'll talk about those then will ask a question about those dates
1: um the dates that the calendars um covers um now they 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 span um the the documents span 1566 um to 1752 and as i said that's a kind of an arbitrary survival because the first irish mission began in in 1542 and uh, we do have a report from that, but it 's not filed within um, the um, the parameters that we decided to publish this calendar in and then seventeen fifty two the last year um, doesn't quite go as far as the suppression of the Jesuits anywhere, including in ireland seventeen seventy three so the last twenty years of the uh, the Irish Jesuits is more or less lost as well
0: sorry what 's the suppression of the Jesuits?
1: Um, this was when uh, this was the end of a long cumulative um, period of anti jesuit we can say um, activism all over Europe that I think um, uh, first um, first brought um, action in uh, the first that first brought um, a suppression of the Jesuits in Portugal and then in Spain, until in the end, um, Pope Clement the Seventh, wasn't it? Um, he read the brief of suppression in 1772, and and then um, the the yeah. So Jesuits were suppressed as an order. They weren't allowed to function anymore um, in any of the in any country all around the world, and they only survived uh, thanks to Catherine the Great in Russia and um, Frederick II in Prussia. And then, of course, they survived as as men, as men of the cloth, as as ordained men. Um, And here in Ireland, there were 17 left in 1773, um, you know, um, serving as diocesan priests, etc. So they survived. But many were killed, in fact, during all those various things that happened between Portugal, Spain and Italy. Um, So it was quite a brutal time for the order.
0: So during those period that your the calendar covers, were there a large number of Jesuits in Ireland and where were they studying? And does it talk about um, Europe and does it talk about uh, other countries or is it mainly concerned with uh, issues in Ireland?
1: Yeah, um, the number of, um, of Jesuits fluctuated an awful lot. There were just two, for instance, in 1598. Um, this grew to about 70 in mid-century, in, in around 1650, and then, of course, the Cromwellian incursions and, and the Cromwellian Wars happened. So that number dropped to, I think, around 6 in 1690. It grew up again, but it, it never reached that, that highest peak of, of um, what I said there, 70. Um, and in the early 18th century and up until the suppression, it, it, it always kind of wavered between 20 and 17. So the last the last Jesuits counted countable here were 17. and 1773
0: Um, and the calendars themselves what stories do they tell us about the Irish Jesuits in that period
1: the the calendar of documents um, yeah um, well It tells so many stories, but maybe firstly, I should say that it tells very much a bureaucratic story um, because, um, as I said, the greater part of the documents are copy letters from Rome. So that means they're really just reflections of what has come from the actual battleground of the faiths, you know, in Ireland. So the superior general might write back and say, oh, um, Christopher Hollywood, superior of the Irish Mission, thank you for your letter. Um, You're asking for so and so many faculties that would be permissions to dispense from vows or permissions to dispense from consanguinical relations um, I will send you these faculties next time I write or I'm sending them now with the with safe messenger um, so there's a lot of, mes- a lot of letters about um, if you want administrative matters about, about um, recruiting men for the mission, about um, sending only the right men like the superior in Ireland would constantly write to Rome and say don't send me any more of those um, of those dumb wits say, oh, don't send me any more of these people who have no Irish language. We need people on the ground that speak Irish and that can hear confession in Irish. Don't send me any more uh, men that are in other ways incompetent, I need the very best men. So there was always a bit of a wrangling because the best men were always wa- also wanted by the colleges in Salamanca and Louvain, in um, in uh, Paderborn to teach um young and upcoming recruits. So so that was a bit of struggle. So a lot of the letters are about these nitty gritty things about finances and about you know, about the movement of men around around Europe.
0: That's interesting you mentioned um, the need for Gaelic-speaking Jesuits because the perception usually is that Jesuits were old English, English English-speaking only, coming from the middle upper-class families like the Dugents or Nedervilles, which they did. But did Jesuits recruit in Gaelic-speaking areas and did Irish Jesuits speak Irish?
1: Yeah, I think um, some of them did, um, some of them did, and, and the most uh, famous in my books anyway is a man from Cork, most probably from Cork, he was a monster man, that's for sure, David Galway, who um, in uh, various years, but definitely in 1619 in and 20, went to the Scottish islands and um, because of his prowess in, now this is the Irish Gaelic language, but which was very, very, very much alike the, um, the Gaelic uh, that was spoken in the. Islands. The Pope, various popes in the early 17th century, kept writing to Irish superiors saying, "We need your men for Scotland. We need uh, we need more missionaries for Scotland, and they need to be able to speak the tongue." So he was one of those. Um, one of those rare ones, because he was also uh, an an old English, as they were called, a member of the, you know, the Anglo-Irish merchant class that you alluded to there, um, like the Netervilles and the Burks and, and the Knowles and the Comerfords and all those um, that spoke Irish very well. But we also hear reports back um all the time that there aren't enough, that there weren't enough men all through that 17th century, that could speak the language well enough um, to function as as good missionaries, especially once they left their native towns. and And Irish Jesuits were often employed in their native towns, so Knowles they always went back to Waterford. Um, for instance, the Hennessys went back to Clomel, um, especially when they out, went out into the fields and, and held a mission out in the countryside. And we can imagine those mass rocks and those secret places and um, where they did that, where they needed Irish um, very badly. So, yes, there were some Irish... Um, um how the recruitment exactly happened in Gaelic speaking areas we have no idea and maybe maybe it wasn't done quite so um explicitly but it just happened but there are um there are Irish Jesuits with the name of Moroni, McGrath and Makanishki even um couldn't be more Irish than that cuz um that um you know that 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 became uh, able bodied missionaries in Ireland as well um, but they were very much of the um of the um of the minority, I, I can I can just add to that that when um, when a French um, a French Jesuit was sent here to Ireland in 1649, his name was Mercure Verdi, um, and um, the. Um, the uh, Superior General of the Jesuits at the time thought, "Gosh, there's so much going on in Ireland." Um, this is just before Cromwell arrives, but um, this is the time of the um, of the Kilkenny Confederates, um, and the Superior General in Rome was probably pulling out his hair, saying, "What what is happening over there? Um, you know, wh- wh- who are these Irish Jesuits siding with? Are they are they meddling in politics or what's going on?" So he sent this man Verdier over here, who sent back loads of reports, and they're really lengthy and very repetitive. Items. Items, but they bring out really interesting bits and pieces, such as his list of um, of Irish Jesuits in 1649. There are 63 men here, and only five of them are of Gaelic stock. He says, and there's always a dearth of people who have Irish. So, um, so that's that I thought that quite interesting. And
0: then that's interesting about Kilkenny because the first. Um, one of the first printing presses in Ireland is set up by the Jesuits in Kilkenny and they are on both sides of the Confederation and Verdier, as you said, was sent as visitor with full faculties and um, it's just his reports obviously um, not knowing the Irish situation and being, being plunged in is one of these kind of cases where an outsider uh, is get his, getting his ear bent by either side and rep- the general back in Rome doesn't know what's going on So that's one case. You mentioned then about um, the Jesuits in, in Ireland working as missionaries. But were they trained in Ireland? Where did they get their education? How do we establish that? Does the calendar mention anything about the formation of Jesuits and how do they form?
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, now, um, how we find out about that is, is through these so-called catalogues, th- those lists of Irish Jesuits that had to be compiled every year, but that the Irish mission was o- often um, a little lackadaisical about writing, or maybe maybe they did so for, sec- for reasons of secrecy. Um, so these catalogues, um, they were also wonderfully transcribed by John McAerley SJ S.J., um, um, they list Irish Jesuits and they say wh- wh- what they were trained in and where they trained. So um, maybe needless to say, most of them, nearly all of them were trained on the continent because there was only a short time, a couple of years, I think, in the um, in the later 1640s, when the Irish Jesuits had permission from their superior general in Rome to actually have a seminary in Ireland. That was in Kilkenny. Um, And then the Cromwellian Wars happened and that that permission was never given again. So usually um, that went really for all men that wanted to be ordained in, in that very Uh, dangerous century the 17th century they usually went to the continent or always had to go to the continent and salamanca was a big place louvain was a big place um to be and rome of course um um, you know a a place that would take um that would take irish jesuits all the time and 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 turn them into 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 priests and missionaries
0: and the calendar itself um is there From an archival perspective, is there a positive or negatives in the calendar as a kind of form in itself? Or is there anything else to be said about the calendar and its kind of archival usage?
1: Yeah. um, um, Now, we can say maybe that... um, there are strange things that are left out in the documents, you know, that that maybe maybe it's a measure of the secrecy that was imposed on the writers that certain things that really cry out loud for being included aren't. Like, for instance, the death of um, um, Oliver Plunkett, Archbishop of Armagh at the time. Now, Saint Oliver Plunkett canonised in 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 1975. Um, he um, his death as you know, as part of the as Titus Oates's um popish plot is not mentioned at all. He himself is very much loudly out there while he's still alive. And there are three of his letters, I think, in the archives, if not four. Um, and there's also no um, no mention of the loss of of the Dublin house in the 1920s. Um, but there are certain things that that maybe didn't need to be written down. And there there were many things as well that were maybe just orally imparted to the messenger. Um, sometimes Irish men, uh, Ar- Irish Jesuits themselves, were sent to Rome to impart certain informations in person to to the superior general. Um, so from that point of view, it's like with all sources, I think we, we sometimes mm, one shouldn't judge out of ex nihilo because there is nothing. But sometimes you're, um, you're you're forced to judge that, you know, that there is either a level of secrecy at work or there's, um, yeah, there's, there's other diplomatic maybe um, reasons for not saying things. Indeed, then there's also the huge um, fact that many things haven't survived
0: And from the calendar, is there one or two kind of stories that stick out when you were calendaring that gave you kind of, not goosebumps, but provoked your attention more than others? You decided to um, start a blog to highlight the work that you're doing. Can you tell me about the blog and how it helped formulate different stories that you found out?
1: Yeah, um, well, this was a blog I contributed to um, yourself, um, had started it off, and I contributed this from this particular project. And it was brilliant to do that, because I was very much, um, you know, in, in a very narrow confines every day, and I wasn't dealing with researchers or, or such like. So it was lovely to be able to just pick out stories that interested me once a month, and, um, and bring them out there. So for instance i would have um i would have touched on a letter that was written by the irish superior robert nugent um in march 1642 so just in the aftermath of the ulster revolt um where you know the the english were um were if you want they were they were paying back um, for the Ulster revolt and he, he writes about the all-round misery and the depredations and he writes about the killings of children, women and men in the eastern part of the kingdom of Ireland that is um, he writes that whole families lost their properties because they were burnt down and he expresses his worries about Jesuits in Dublin and Drogheda he writes from a safe place, we don't know where so that was one one of the things that really gripped me and like you say it made the hair stand stand up on the back of my neck Um there's there's other ones that that connect that seem to connect directly with um with with things on the ground or even even have a bit of humor in them there's there's one from sixteen o five and this is the year when um when uh, james um uh james the um the first um you know who who was the son of of Mary Stuart and who had therefore kind of raised hopes that you know, maybe he he might bring in some kind of slackening in in the in in the English um, in the English strictures against uh, Catholics. Um, when he had brought out an edict in July of that year, sixteen o five, that that um, expelled all, um, and he mentioned Jesuits first, and then he said all other priests of the mass. So these this proclamation or edict was read out on market squares all over Ireland, and and this Irish Jesuit called Walter Whale. Um, I think he was from Clonmel or from Cashel. I can't remember. Uh, where he writes this letter, we don't know either. He, again, secrecy plays such a big part. But he writes back to the superior general in Rome, Claudio Acquaviva. Um, and he says that um, in the market square, wherever he was at the time, um, this thing was read out, you know, expelling Jesuits and and, and priests of the mass. And, and you know, generally really... Um, Forbidding Catholics to to um, to practice their religion, and he says that uh, he writes in Italian, and he says that this countryman, Vittorino, all of a sudden um, is grabbed by the by the local police for not having doffed his cap at hearing the proclamation. And, um, and he's, he's nearly snatched off to jail. And then he says, Oh, but I only came to the marketplace to buy three L's of cloth for making a tunic for myself. I didn't come here to hear the likes of this. And for some reason, they let him go. So it's a story straight from the early 17th century. And you know, it's so, it's so weird and fantastic. It couldn't have been made up, it must have happened that way. So that's, that's another story I, I picked out for the blog.
0: In the context of Irish um, history, I suppose, church history, what, um, I suppose, contribution does this calendar, where does it place itself? What does it tell us in an overall way about Irish um, life in this period?
1: Yeah, um, there it is. it's it's really the the dramatic years. Um, 1605 is one of them. 1642 and then 49 uh, are other ones. Um, that's where um, where things get most dramatic and where things are maybe more more generally. Um, um how to put it generally catholic maybe in in flavor um i mean the the whole calendar in a way gives an idea of, of what catholic life might have been like but because most of much of it is is taken up with administrative um and bureaucratic things um they don't these more general aspects of catholic life don't always sweep up to the surface but um but certainly we're getting a great idea of what the counter reformation was about um and how these jesuits punched above their weight because they were they were very few compared to other orders um how they ministered to their to their people by living among them in towns that was something that the populace remarked on unlike um unlike maybe some of the more slightly more secluded orders um uh, the augustinians for instance um um they they lived in towns and they they had their own residences but they didn't live in monasteries so um, so we, we get we get a lot of mention of hearing confessions of, like I said, of of dispensing um, people from having maybe uh, having celebrated marriages they shouldn't have because they were related to one another. Um, there's a lot of talk of catechism, of teaching school. Um, so the, those very big concerns that the counter-reformation had um, and conversions, of course, come up as well and are well, they're celebrated in in those annual letters I mentioned earlier in particular. The setting up of sodalities, um, that's interesting because it's not just a Jesuit thing. Obviously, this is something that the Dominicans and the Franciscans and no doubt other orders had done as well, setting up um, small groups of laity in a particular town, say Clonmel, Waterford, Dublin, um, with the permission of the Jesuit superior in this case, in the Jesuit case, um, and then these people meeting once, once uh once once a week and um, and helping one another with with the catechisms and this was very much an idea that priests might be snatched up and imprisoned any at any stage, so the laity had to be able to help one another a little bit with with matters of scripture
0: and in a more general sense um how did you find working within a as a layperson uh, within a jesuit house and within a jesuit archives did your previous experience help you um, or did anything shock you or was there any kind of spirituality within the Jesuit archives or in the calendar itself? Was there anything that kind of provoked your attention that can say at the end of your project, this is something that I didn't expect or it's crept into your kind of way of thinking? I'm just, um, just kind of generally I'm wondering, is did anything rub off in the archives as in towards you?
1: Mm. Very, very good question. Um, maybe it still hasn't sunk in. But um, generally speaking, um, firstly, working here in Leeson Street was a great pleasure because um, over elevenths, which I I don't fail to mention in the acknowledgements of the, the, the calendar as it will come out in book form, um, over elevenths, many of the the things that puzzled me um, would, would be thrashed out, say, I could ask questions. Um, um, I'm not just a lay, a lay person, but I'm also not a Catholic. So um, certain things would puzzle Catholics themselves, such as the the, the, the strange thing um, within the, the Jesuit, but also other orders, as I found out, where a benefactor or benefactress of the order in the 17th century might ask to become a deathbed Jesuit and might want to be um, buried within, with, within the, the habit of, of the Jesuit. That also happened with the Franciscans, I was told. So these kinds of questions I could ask over a cup of tea and 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 a scone etc um, upstairs and that was lovely um what rubbed off on me. Um, certain instances of kindness is maybe in the letters when you've been, maybe you've been spending the whole day just looking at bureaucracy, at men being moved around, shunted around Europe, you know, because they're well-versed in the scripture and they make a good missionary. And for the umpteenth time, you read that their viaticum, their their travel expenses has been, you know, paid by this person or that person. And then all of a sudden there's a ray of light and a superior general expresses um, a certain... um, I don't know, a note of kindness and I'm thinking of this particular Jesuit. What was his first name? His last name was Lee. It might have been William. William, William, Was it William William
0: Lee of I think Yale?
1: Very good, thank you. Yeah, he was um, in Flanders at the time, I think, when when um, he wrote to the superior general. We don't have his own letter, um, and he must have begged to be um, to be sent back to Ireland to his native um, to his native Ireland. He doesn't say where, but he wants to. He's not even ordained yet; he's he's only a scholastic, so he'll be studying theology at this stage. Um, and we only have the reply to him um, in the copy letters, and for the first time, uh, I saw. The, that the superior general writes in the second person um, um, singular. So he writes you um, rather than thou, if you want. And and he encourages him in his faith. And he says, those anxieties you speak about, um, don't let them overwhelm you. And um, sure, the right thing will be done when the right time has come. So he's, you know, he's he's sort of... um, Um, getting out the door quick if you want, but in a very kindly and fatherly manner. Um, So that kind of thing stayed with me because it was so unusual, maybe.
0: And finally, you mentioned the publication of it. Um, Who's publishing it and um where can i buy numerous copies
1: yeah very good it's published by um the institutum um, historicum societatis jesu which is the publishing arm of the um the roman curia archives which are really properly called the um um the archivum romanum societatis jesu so they will publish it hopefully in the may of this year 2017 and um, numerous copies. I'm not sure wh- where they will dispense them, but um, there'll be there'll be various bookshops where you can probably find them.
0: Thank you, viewers, for taking time out today to speak to us at the Irish Digital Archives.
1: You're very welcome, Damien. It was a re- real pleasure.